all systems go. You've been a very good boy. There's a flesh wound. Welcome to the debut of the You Don't Know Rich podcast. I'm your host. I'm sure you guessed my name already. I'm Rich. My podcast is dedicated to interesting stories, news, sports, and events that are happening in the western suburbs, and in particular, in DuPage County and Elmhurst. We'll add a few fun comedy bits from time to time, as I think everyone needs to laugh every once in a while. There'll be interviews with some interesting folks mostly from our area. I hope you find them interesting. Occasionally you may not, but that's okay, because this is about me. But check back for our next episode if you don't like this particular episode, and you just might find something you'll like. I'm your host, your producer, your editor, and in most cases, the interviewer. From time to time, I might have some local characters that will join me. They'll help me inform and entertain you. Some of the comedy bits might be a bit off color. Never meant to offend, but everyone's offended by something. Apologies in advance. We're an equal opportunity offender, and I'm sure we'll unintentionally offend all of you at one time or another. I'm a lifer here in Elmhurst, and I look forward to bringing you some interesting stories. From time to time, I'll try to let you know about some neat events, some great bands that might be playing in town, some some things to do that are coming up. Uh, we're recording this right at the end of January 2019. So coming up in February, uh, one of my favorite venues is the Elmhurst American Legion Post. We'll be featuring many of the veterans that are members of the Post over the next 12 months here on You Don't Know. Uh, and pretty much every Friday night, the uh, Elmhurst American Legion Post at 310 West Butterfield Road in Elmhurst has live entertainment, uh, starting with uh, uh, February 15th. The DuPage Community Jazz Ensemble Band will be playing at 8 p.m. Uh, February 22nd, a band Sling Blade. March 1st, Johnny Gray will be playing. March 15th, Roxanne. And our friends at Doc's Victory Pub have some great entertainment coming up. On February 8th, Sal and Izzy, an acoustic and uh, rock cover band. On February 15th, McLennan, and of course that's a, that's a two names put together, McCartney and Lennon, so there's songs by, by those two and some other great uh, songs from that era. And then on February 22nd, Doug Bardolph, and uh, he's got some acoustic covers including the Beatles, Van Morrison, John Mayer, and Ed Sheeran. And as always, at Elmhurst College, the uh, annual Elmhurst College Jazz Festival, it'll be the 52nd annual to be exact, starts on February 21st, goes through February 24th at Hammerschmidt Memorial Chapel at the college. For more details, visit www.elmhurst.edu.
On February 23rd, the Elmhurst Lions Club will be having their annual pizza party at Sandburg Middle School. That's from 5 to 7 p.m. $8 for an adult, $35 for a family of five or more, free to children six and under. And uh, I am uh, actually a member of the Elmhurst Lions Club, and I can tell you that nearly every child that shows up uh, will we'll go home with a prize. Maybe not everyone, but most will. They uh, they sell raffle tickets, and there's lots of neat prizes. The kids will love it. Great pizza from Roberto's. And as I record here, on January 30th, 2019, we had a low today somewhere around minus 25 degrees Fahrenheit with wind chills lower than minus 50 Fahrenheit. Tomorrow, uh, we'll have a low of about minus 25 again. In the morning, it'll finally warm up, but we're only about six short weeks from the Elmhurst-St. Patrick's Day Parade on Spring Road. That kicks off at noon on March 9th, and uh, there'll be a lot of great entries, including the uh, York Community High School Marching Band, and of course, my all-time favorite, the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring Mary, the world's largest drum. So those are a few... uh, Events coming up. Also want to give a shout out to our friends at Pino's Palette. Visited there several months ago with a group and uh, what a great place in downtown Elmhurst. Pino's is a great place to learn to paint. Uh, You don't have to have any experience. They'll teach you how to paint. The painting will turn out great. Go with a group and you can have some wine or some other cocktails while you're at it. They have a full bar there so uh, really a really a great time and but uh, take some friends when you go. And it's not painting homes, it's artwork, of course. Just had to clarify that. And every once in a while, I'll kind of give a quick plug to uh, one of the places that I like to visit. So check out Pino's Palette. It's at the corner of 3rd and York in Elmhurst. From time to time here on You Don't Know, we like to share some experiences our good friends at City Hall have, taking phone calls, answering questions from residents. So please take a listen. Roslowski. Who? Grzlowski. Hello. Animal control, please. Yeah, yeah, I got this. What do you want? I wish to register a complaint. Uh, of course you do. Who is this? What's your name? Peppy. Uh, Peter Le Pew. That's a pretty unusual name. What's your name again? Say it again. Peter? Yeah, okay. What's, what, and what's your last name? Le Pew. Le Pew? Le Pew is French for sweet-smelling. Okay. What's your complaint? There are too many male skunks. You don't have to tell me. Wait, male skunks? We yes. There are too much competition. Competition? What are you talking about? Yes. It is getting so bad, I might have to get a cat. Okay, I'm lost. What What is it you want from me exactly? I would like you to move... Some of the skunks out of my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you where do you live, uh, uh, Peter? I live in a very nice neighborhood. Neighbor, yeah. There's a lot of very nice neighborhoods, as you say, in Elmhurst. Where where exactly do you live? The Bryan Middle School Refuse Reserve, between the discarded mimeograph machine and the old school district maintenance truck leaf springs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got an idea. We, we can get this resolved. We can uh, appoint a Blue Ribbon Commission, uh, getting it designated as a super fun site. How about that? But where will I live? 
How about some waterfront joint down, you know, uh, like along Salt Creek? Hmm. Sounds nice. What's about the skunks? Skunks, come on. Skunks were here long before we were. Just like the mosquitoes. Well, I am very disappointed. Like I haven't heard that before. Au revoir. Yeah, whatever. So on this first episode of You Don't Know, I have a gentleman who is the commander of the Elmhurst American Legion THB Post 187. Did I say that correctly, sir? You sure did. Uh, he's the commander, John Scudder. How long have you been commander of the post? I've been a commander. This will be my fourth year. Great. So the, the post is 100 years old this year. And uh, I know that the Post wants to celebrate that in the community. And one of the things that you're going to do is you're going to highlight a different veteran that's a member of the Post each month. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some press releases and articles about that veteran. And in addition, here on the You Don't Know Rich podcast, we're going to feature a different veteran every month. And uh, your number came up, Commander Scudder. That's it. This is the only lottery I've ever won, believe me. So give us a little bit of uh, history on the post when it was – obviously it was founded 100 years ago. I could have figured that out. But how it was founded and uh, how many Um, folks were involved. um, At the end of World War I uh, in Paris, the the, um, American Army decided that they needed a veterans organization that would represent all the, the veterans who uh, either went to France or, or still were in the United States. The first post was in Paris. That was the number one post. And it was 1919 when most of the uh, older posts were chartered. They were all chartered about the same time. And we were chartered, I believe it was on the 28th of September, 1919. That's when we received our, our charter. And uh, how many folks were a part of that uh, first post? Uh, there was clo- the, the first post probably had close to about 800 members when it first opened. Wow. Yeah. And at one time, we were up to 1,000 a few years ago. And quickly tell the story about the initials THB in the name. Um, well, those are three individuals uh, who were killed in World War One, And as a matter of fact, we still have a niece who's very active in the post of, uh, of uh, Bates, who was a Marine who was killed in September of 1918, right before the end of the war. So all three of them were killed within, I would say, a month of each other. Wow. But a month within, uh, before the end of the war. All in the same area that they were killed or in different parts? One was in the Marines, and he was in, in a northern section on the Meuse. The other two, Theobald and uh, 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 Harry, uh, were all killed at the battle of what they call Passchendaele and this was in November of 1918 and they if they would have lived another uh, 11 days or been been around another 11 days someplace else they would have survived the war but they all were killed within that three month period. uh, It's pretty neat that they honored those folks. Is that typical in an American Legion post where they honor uh, deceased folks with initials like that? Um, They try to but every post has a different one like the Commander Barry post in um, in Berwyn is named after uh, the founder of the United States Navy, John Barry. So uh, every post is different in how they want to name uh, name the post. But because it was so close at the end of World War One, and we lost three people from Elmhurst, they decided to honor those three people. So we got a little background on the post now, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You you were raised here in Elmhurst, correct? Uh, that's correct. Um, I moved here in 1947 at the um, at the end of World War Two. And I lived here just about my entire life. Um, as a matter of fact, I drive around town. I can't believe how much has changed over the years. But uh, know, know the town very well. And being active in the Legion, 
Um, it, it just brings uh, back a lot of memories. York High School graduate, right? Uh, I see, class of 1962. It was the yeah. best eight years of my life. <laughs> I bet it was. And did, did you go on uh, to any education after that? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, I received my bachelor's degree from uh, Lewis University in, uh, in uh, business and marketing uh, on a GI Bill. So I took advantage of that also. So did you have any family history of service? Um, as a matter of fact, we can go all the way back to the pilgrims with the family service in wars. Um, um, my, what, I guess seventh removed great-grandfather was the only c- congressman ever killed in battle uh, leading his regiment in New Jersey right at the end of the war. And his son at the same time was uh, in a sea battle, the largest that they ever had in the Revolutionary War, taken back to England as a prisoner of war at age 21. And uh, his history is remarkable, what he did later on. But uh, my father, was, my two uncles were in World War II. Uh, one was a, uh, a physician. My uncle Frank and my dad were gunnery officers. And both my grandfathers served in World War One. Any siblings uh, in the service? Uh, just me. No, no siblings at all. And at what point in your uh, journey of life did you decide to uh, serve our great country? Um, as a matter of fact, it was just uh, an idea. I said, you know, I'm going to do this. My parents thought it was a great idea at the time. And um, I got in there, and it was amazing. It was uh, a whole new world opened up to me, and um, I fell in love with it. It was just something that it was, wow, this is where I want to be. How old were you when you uh, enlisted? 19. Okay. And uh, went to Fort Knox. I was naively, I thought it would be warm down there. They trusted you with the gold, <laughs> yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But on a troop train down there, we're all going, boy, it's going to be warm. We're going south. It was just as cold as it was in Chicago. It was in February 1914, uh, excuse me, 1964. So, cold um, February this, in Kentucky, uh, right? Is it that was, it was my friend. It was. And um, from there, I went to uh, 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 what they call track school, which is uh, tanks. And um, I was a... Uh, recovery specialist. I was a crew member on what they call the M88 Goliath, which is a tank retriever. It's a 77-ton monster that would uh, pick up broken-down tanks, uh, heavy artillery pieces, and things like that. And you mentioned you went you went to school at one point on the GI Bill. Uh-huh. How long were you uh, in the service before you went to school? I, had, um, I started taking classes at night through the University of Maryland when I was stationed in Germany. Okay. And um, I had 10 years active duty, and I um, uh, just about completed two years of college doing that, and so I just went on and uh, got the last two at Lewis University. So I stopped you long before you got to that story then. So <laughs> tell me how you went from uh, from here over to Germany and, uh, and anything in between for that matter. Well, uh, I was at Fort Hood, and the levy came down and said, we need people with recovery specialists in Germany. So um, I, like everybody else, wound up on a ship. Alexander M. Patch, and spent two lovely weeks in the North Atlantic in the wintertime to, uh, to uh, reach uh, Germany. Is that as bad as it sounds? Yes, it was. You, you just can't believe how bad, 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 bad it was. The North Atlantic is uh, yes. pretty... We spent many not days... Not exactly like glass, is it? Well, we spent many days locked down on a troop ship because you couldn't get up on the deck. And uh, it got a little ripe in the crew compartment, believe me. So what percentage of the, uh, the guys... Uh, couldn't handle their lunch, so to speak, with the. Um, I would say about ninety-eight percent. I was very lucky. I was not one of them. Really, but uh, it uh, it was an amazing sight. Believe me, it was an amazing sight to have uh, somebody talking to you and just hold their hand up, and everybody had their brown paper bag, 
and they would say, excuse me, and then throw up in a bag and continue the conversation. So what was the first port you uh, landed in over there? Uh, Southampton, England. Okay. We dropped troops off, picked up some troops. Is that where the Titanic left from? Uh, yes, one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on a reverse on a reverse uh, right. voyage. Right. And then on up to Bremerhaven, and got off the ship and on the troop trains. And it felt really, really um, odd walking on ground without that movement of the ship. But once we got on the train, it was like, oh, this is this is old hat. It what was year was like this approximately? 1965. Okay. So that's where I wound up. So it, Vietnam had uh, had started. Had started, and we were in Germany, and uh, I was one of about 300,000 other guys that were stationed in Germany at that particular time, and um, went to Fulda and with the 14th Armored Cavalry and was on border patrol, and it was at the Fulda Gap, and this was an area that all the conquerors of Europe came through because that was the only way through the Spencer Mountains at that time. So we were um, constantly on patrol, constantly on patrol up on the border, and our job, again, was to pick up the tanks that uh, had broken down or, or um, artillery pieces that uh, somehow became mired in the mud and things of this nature. But it was a real challenge to get those tanks back up to where they were supposed to be. And that's what we did, to be 60 days out, 30 days back. 30 days back at the base in, in right, Germany? In, in the concerns, correct. So how long were you in Germany uh, in total? Uh, at least on that. Was that your only tour in Germany? Uh, well, I've been back for what they call reforgers uh, w- with the National Guard and the reserves, and that's what reforgers return of forces to Germany. And what we would do is receive an alert, and uh, the, uh, we would all get on planes, and we would wind up back in Germany to let the Russians know how quickly we could resupply ourselves real fast with troops from the United States because most of the um, heavy divisions have pre uh, what they call pre-positioned vehicles at Kaiserslautern, Germany. So you'd get off the plane and there's all your vehicles, the same number that you would have in your unit. You just get on, start it up, and away you would go. It wouldn't bring your equipment with you. Okay. So how long were you there then? Um, the first time? Uh, first time I was there for two years. Two years. Yes. And I've been back about five other times on reforgers. Okay. So it was um, it was it was very interesting to see how uh, West Germany at that time had changed. And how far into your service were you when you came back from Germany that first time? Um, I, my enlistment was just about up. Uh, I came back and I think I had about uh, four more months to go. And of course, they would uh, discharge you with that amount of time. Oh, so, right then and there. Right, and then um, they didn't have you sweep sweep the corners of a round barn or anything like that not really they no. just said hey you know what you're this close go home we'll see you later thank you for your service and then i uh, then i went into the national guard and that's where i spent the next almost 30 years of my life in the national guard uh, stationed either in chicago or down in springfield and, I, and you were full-time uh no i was uh i was uh what they call the weekend warrior okay but the higher in rank you got the more time you spent and it was very, um, very interesting to see how you could spend three weekends in a row in Springfield, Illinois, um, as it got busier and busier. Uh, and you went up in rank. You had to be there to make sure everything was uh, working right. And I achieved the rank of first sergeant, which is the uh, top soldier. That's what they call you. They call you top. You have three rockers up, three rockers down, and a diamond in the middle. And uh, it's lots of stripes. Yeah, lots of stripes and a lot of time, a lot of schools. But it was the best job I ever had in the Army. It was, it was uh, providing and leading these young soldiers. It was just a, an amazing, an amazing process. So what was the uh, 
the toughest time you ever had in the service, whether it be, you know, in training or on a mission? Uh, the toughest time was probably in Germany in the wintertime. Okay. And uh, because it was so cold, but yet it was so muddy and vehicles would break down and it's your job. You'd be on your hands and knees in the mud or in the water, attaching the cables, chains and things like that to get these vehicles out of there. And sometimes it took a lot, a lot of work. And by the end of something like that, you were um, completely soaked. That vehicle's up. Let's go get the next one. So it, it was rough duty. But what it did, it, it just made me aware of, of myself, how far I could go. And, um, yeah, this is the life you led. It's a rough and tumble life. But it was a type of life that I really, really enjoyed. And my sense is that the other folks that you serve with, you, you tend to really form a bond with those folks that you you can't nobody else can understand exactly probably. even today when i talk to these guys it's just like hey we it's 50 years ago at that particular time um it's just like we we left seeing each other the day before you do all of this together constantly um wherever you're at the other person's with you and uh, you really do form a bond uh with with these people and this is what the military or the army in particular wants you to do these are your buddies. These are the ones that you fight for. These are the ones that you go through this training uh, to make sure that everything works right so they don't get injured either. Right. And you look out for each other. So you helped train some young men in your in your Army career. So what, what makes the best recruit? What kind of a person? Um, the best recruit is just an American kid, believe it or not. An American kid. They get into the Army. They get trained. They see how it is. And they grow and they develop. And it's, it's the most amazing process to watch an average kid from from any town just all of a sudden they're a soldier in eight weeks. And then you start training them on their job. But it, um, it, makes, every, it makes you proud. It makes everybody proud the first time their parents see them in a uniform when they come home and things like that. And their whole nature has changed. And the whole way of thinking of things are, is completely different. And uh, you get very close to those people, too whether a brand new second lieutenant or a brand new private. Uh, you, you introduce them into the company, make sure they have a sponsor, make sure everybody knows their name, and they're not alone ever. They have a battle buddy assigned to them, and that's who they are. they're with constantly. They are never alone. So as an enlisted man, did you ever uh, take part in training future officers? Well, we did uh, with uh, uh, various ROTC groups. They would, uh, on a weekend, they would bring them down to the Joliet Training Area, which is now part of the uh, Abraham Lincoln National Cemetery, and we would put them through their paces, whether it was uh, map reading, first aid, uh, they'd be on a rifle range and things like that. They'd get off the bus, and they'd just turn it over to the sergeants. So we would train these young cadets. Were you a little harder on those guys that were going to be officers? Uh, not really. No. Uh, not really. Uh, they, they were Afraid soldiers, was too. was going to come back and bite you but someday? <laughs> not, no, because, you know, they, they were kids, and uh, they were there because they wanted to be. So we gave them, gave them the best training that we possibly could. So you could. appreciated what they were trying to do. Exactly, exactly. So you were you were basically a mentor to a lot of young men. Did, mm -hmm. did you have any mentors that were in the service? I sure did. Uh, uh, Sergeant McCluskey, of all the names in the world, once once said, you know something, Scudder? You're better than you think you are. And those words have always stuck with me. These crusty old sergeants made sure that you told the line, you did what you're supposed to do, but if you needed anything, they were there on the spot. And uh, they didn't blink. They were... Uh, 
They were part of your team and they took care of you. And I learned from them that this is what you do when you have that responsibility. You take care of your soldiers, especially as a first sergeant. Any any regrets about your service, something you would have liked to have done that you you chose not to do? Uh, the only regret I have is because of my vision. I couldn't go airborne. At that time, you had to have uh, perfect vision. You couldn't wear glasses. And, that's, and it's stamped right on my records, no airborne. And as a matter of fact, when the guy stamped it on my... Uh, on my records, uh, my medical records, he says, I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> you know, like I, I like I always say, I wonder about guys who jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Uh, so do I. Got to wonder about those guys. <laughs> we'll take a quick break here on You Don't Know, and we'll be right back with Commander John Scudder. I record these shows on You Don't Know from my home, and uh, my home is my parents' basement. And uh, I'm looking to get out of here. I'm looking for a new place to live here in the next few years. And uh, my uh, parents aren't really crazy about me recording this show in their basement. Uh, They've got a lot of uh, valuable old stuff that nobody else wants, but they think it's very valuable. So anyway, uh, I've got to find a new place to record. And I've got the perfect place to record. It's not too far from my home in my parents' basement. But I'm not exactly sure where it is. I know it's somewhere in Elmhurst. I'm looking for the old Elmhurst Memorial Hospital cupola. I know it's still around. I can't believe anybody would have discarded it. So I think it would be acoustically perfect to record from there. So I'm on a quest to find it. And why don't you come along with me? Today, I'm at the new Elmhurst Memorial Hospital down on the south side of town. And I have a feeling that the old cupola is somewhere here. So I'm, I'm going to go in here, going in the, in the middle doors here and uh, approaching. There's a, there's a gentleman up here at the, uh, at the uh, information desk. So, uh, hello, sir, sir. I, uh, Hi, I'm Harry. How can oh, I help Harry, you? I know you, Dr. Sanderson. Dr. Um, Sanderson, how I, are you? I'm not a doctor. I'm a volunteer. Well, come on, you know. You work at the hospital. You must be a doctor or a nurse or something like that. Okay. How can I help you? <laughs> well, I'm looking for the old cupola from the old Elmer's Memorial Hospital. Couple Where, what? what can you? No, no, no. Cupola. You know the the big round tower on top uh, of the old hospital? I, it used to be the logo of the hospital. It's an Elmhurst icon. You know what I mean, don't you? You've, you've been yeah. here for a long time, right, Dr. Sanderson? No, I thought you were referring to like an Italian soup of some kind. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The cupola. It's, you know, the big tower. So do you know where it is? Can you can you guide me to where it is? No, I have no idea. Um, okay. Well, uh, you're no help. Let me, you know, hold on. You know what? I'll be back, okay? I'm going to go check and uh, see if I can find it on my own. And uh, will you be here when I get back? Uh, another hour. Another hour. Well, geez, doctor's hours are pretty short, aren't they? I'm a volunteer. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I'll be, I'll be back. So, I think I'm going to go down the hall here and see what I can find. There's this big long hallway, but not a lot of people out here. I think everybody else is is behind these doors, and I don't know if I'm allowed access behind there. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm just going to stand by one of these doors that uh, I don't have access to and wait for somebody to go through and kind of sneak in. So. Bear with me for a minute. I might stop and get a Starbucks on the way. Hold on. Oh, oh, oh never mind. Somebody, somebody just came out. Oh, 
Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I'm in the back hallway. Huh. I've never been back here before. Huh. I wonder if uh, I get in the back of the cafeteria maybe sneak me a sandwich or something while I'm back here. I don't know. I'm going to find an elevator. Oh. Nope. There's a stairway. Stairway. So I'm going to go up the stairway here and uh, see what I can find. Okay. Hello, sir. Hi. How are you? Yep. 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 Nice to see you, Doc. Okay. Okay. It appears now I'm on the second floor, and there's some some rooms up here. And let me see what I can find. Sir. Yes. Yes. Sir, are yeah. are you supposed to be in here? Uh. Yeah. 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 Actually, I am. I'm. Uh, I'm visiting uh, John Kosakala. Uh, this is the maternity uh. ward, sir. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he just, I mean, she just had a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm like. Yeah, and who are you exactly? Uh, oh, oh, I see. You got a name tag on there. Uh, Ratchet. Mildred Ratchet, yes. Mildred? I'm the floor nurse here. May I call you Mildred? And you don't have a visitor's badge. No, that's okay. I don't need a visitor's badge. I'm just, actually, can I, I, uh, I want to be honest with you, Mildred, okay? I don't know anybody who just had a baby. I'm looking for the cupola from the old Elmer's Memorial Hospital. I'm very, very happy for you, but you're going to have to leave this department. Well, can you point me in the direction of the cupola? Uh, I want to use it. I mean, I really want to put it to good use. And as far as I know, it's hidden in one of these back rooms somewhere here at the hospital. You should try information. I did already. I talked to Dr. Sanderson. Do you know him? Uh, Harry is not a doctor. Oh, come on. He works at the hospital. Is he a nurse? Harry's a volunteer. Well, there's volunteer doctors. Sir, I'm going to have to call security if you do not leave this I'm, I'm, maternity I'm, ward. No, no, just hold on a second. I'm not looking to cause any trouble. I just want to find the old cupola. I'm willing to pay good cash money for it. Uh, perhaps you should check the psych ward. I think that they could help you there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, you know what, Nurse Ratchet? You're an attractive young lady, but... Uh, I think I'm going to come back another day. Thank you, sir. Have okay, a nice day. I, I'm on my way. And we're back with Commander John Scudder. So what, what aspect of your service makes you the most proud? Uh, being a first sergeant, I, I, I relish the job. It was just um, uh, a job that uh, it's, 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 it's a high visibility job and a lot of responsibility. But, boy, the results of, of working with these kids and training them, the way they responded to training – was amazing, just amazing. They were uh, completely different. The more they trained, the better they were, and they just enjoyed it. Uh, they go back the next day, let's say, to college and say, hey, you know, I flew around in a helicopter this weekend. Uh, I fired a machine gun and things of this nature. I was on a map course, and uh, just just watch them. It was just just amazing. It uh, And then they go off in, into their civilian jobs, and they would bring all of this training with them, the discipline, get the job done, quit carping, uh, show up on time, show up where you're supposed to be, um, never exaggerate, lie, cheat, steal, be honest with yourself and your fellow workers. And, and that, that that was something that employers would, would call us up and say, "Bring, give me another guy like this, give me another girl like this. I, um, I really want them. They're good. So, John, you, you served for quite a while, this great country. So tell us, do you have any, you know, like a, a fun story you'd like to share about your service? Well, this, is, this isn't this is so much fun, but I remember uh, clearly as first sergeant, 
when we were mobilized for the Iraq War. And um, we were leaving Fort or Camp Lincoln and uh, in Springfield. The buses were there. Bands were playing. Families were there. And I made sure that the soldiers got on the buses, the last goodbyes and things. And all of a sudden, parents would walk up to me and say, and I'll probably choke up talking about it, but it's, please bring my boy back. I bet. I bet you had a lot oh, of it or, You know, my, my daughter, she's all I have. My wife died last year. I know she's not a Miss America, but to me, she's gorgeous. Please bring her back. Um, wives would come up and say, with two babies in their arms going, you know, please bring Jimmy home. Please bring him home. He's so you got, got called family. back to active duty for this? Yeah, we were mobilized for um, uh, uh, a year. That's what that's what it was. But it was, uh, and then other sergeants that I knew through my career would come up and say, "Bring the bring the boy back, please. I we need him in a family." And this is where it strikes home: is that uh, when something happens, these are average people. This is the kid next door, the family next door, and uh, they're going out for for all of us. And uh, they they show up and they and they do it, and as a leader, your responsibility is to your mission. But it's the soldiers always, and always in the back of your mind is how can I do this and have nobody hurt? Well, sometimes you can't, and uh, it really hits home when some of these kids are injured or, or even worse. But right. it but it always stuck in my mind um, of, of what those parents and family members said. The other thing that I'll never forget, I, I call them the American Madonnas. As we were pulling out of the gate, there they were at the gate with American flags in their hand, holding their children, wow. waving goodbye. And, you know, are we going to see each other again type of a thing? Uh, what's going to happen? And uh, it really, it really shows you that the citizen soldier is exactly that. They give up jobs. They give up school. They face separation from their from their families. And that's hard on, oh, yeah, uh, it especially is. if they're married. It's hard sure. on marriages. Oh, yeah. Uh, the real heroes are the, are the family members that stay home. They have this worry every day, is it going to be the knock at the door? Right. You know, we regret to inform you. And, uh, or, uh, uh, you know, worse, you know, that, that somebody's missing and we, we can't find them. Right. But it just shows you the, the, the character of the volunteer uh, citizen soldier of the state that, that just comes from every town in the state and they show up. And it was, it was really an amazing thing to see. Um, also was an amazing thing to see is when we got up to Fort McCoy. And uh, every unit is never always up to strength. But once something happens, all these other people are assigned to you. We had people from... Uh, is that the one up in Wisconsin? McCoy? Yeah, yeah. And Lacrosse, it, I think, area. Exactly. And it was very cold, and they were training us for the desert. And we were up there in January, so... It was a, white sand, white snow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, these people start showing up from Guam and uh, uh, Florida and the uh, National Guardsmen from Alaska. And uh, it, uh, all of a sudden, that just showed you, too, uh, the United States, all these people from different areas getting together, working together to defend this country and do their job. It just was a complete eye opener. Yeah, well, I can tell you're moved by it. And oh, so yeah. I. I, I will never, ever forget it. Ever Thank forget you for it. sharing that. So you had a lot of buddies in the service. Now Now that you're uh, not in the service anymore and you're the commander over at the post and obviously very, very active over there, how, how do you – what's the sense of camaraderie at the post among guys and ladies who are all served in different branches of the military, different time frames – how do you folks come together and uh, get to know each other, and what do you get out of that experience? Well, uh, it's ba well again, it's all veterans. 
Uh, so uh, we all have had the same experience, whether you were in any branch of the service, Marines, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, or the, the Army, you all had the same experience of being part of something that's bigger than yourself, um, depending on somebody or also having somebody to depend upon you. You're not going to let people down and things of that nature. And it, and it reflects that way into the Legion. There's people that just come up and do things. You don't have to ask them and it's done. Um, you don't have to worry about somebody sitting there moaning and groaning or things like that, uh, that they don't want to do this. It's all volunteers. They want to do it and they help. And, of course, it's always the kibitzing back and forth. And I bet there's a lot of that. In fact, sure I know is. there is because I've heard some of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the Marines and the Army and the Air Force. But it's, it's also um, the, um, the the sayings and things like this and the way that you can phrase words. that, that uh, You guys uh, have your, own, your whole just, own language, it, it, don't it you, all the it's lingo. A, it's, a, it's a secret language. And, of course, every branch has a little different version yeah, of exactly, that, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, that's the fun part, especially when uh, the mouth starts to go. And it's all and it's all good natured. I hate to see I hear what you guys say about the uh, lifelong civilians like myself when uh, we're not around. We uh, we we high, we praise you very highly. <laughs> oh, you you know what I mean, though. I have a buddy named Bill Shanklin that says we have to do that. <laughs> he keeps you in line and uh, he tries very threatens much so. you. Yes, he tries. So when did you first join uh, the American Legion, whether it be this post or a different post? As a matter of fact, I joined in uh, 1987. And it was a little post in a town called Edwardsport, Indiana. And my grandfather, who was a... Uh, I don't little, know where that is. Where is it? It's outside of Vincennes. I know where Vincennes is. It's just to the west of it. Okay. Uh, east of it, excuse me. And uh, my grandfather, who was a, a military surgeon in World War One, started the post. Well, it's a little, just a little town, and they needed members. So my dad, my uncles, myself, um, anybody that uh, uh, that we knew... We all joined that post just to keep it open, but it wasn't enough. And about uh, about five years after joining that post, it did close. And because my wife worked over here, Toby worked over here at the American Legion in Elmhurst, it was a natural for me coming from this town to transfer my membership from this from Edwardsport, Indiana, to Elmhurst, Illinois. When did you first become active? I I assume you weren't active right away. No, I wasn't. Uh, uh, the work and things of this nature, uh, being on several other boards, uh, precluded that. But one day I walked in and they said, come to a meeting. And they said, uh, they called out names of who's here. And I raised my hand and said, I'm here. And they all went, he raised his hand. Thank you very much. You're on the board. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's a true story. That's how it happened. And uh, from there, uh, I've, uh, I've been around uh, in the different positions. Until the, um, I, I re got to be the commander. Are you the permanent commander now? I think so for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously, you know, a lot of the World War II vets aren't aren't around with us anymore. Um, what has that done to your membership? Uh, it, it's in a steep. It put us into a steep decline because uh, when you have uh, let's say 16 million people under arms at one time. And they all come out. They'll join the American Legion or the VFW. And they were very, very active. This was their social life. This is where they'd reminisce with their friends about the war and things of this nature. This was where they'd come for their parties, uh, their St. Patrick's Day parties, 
Christmas parties, uh, whatever you whatever you might ha- uh, have, they were there for different dances and things like that. This is where the gathering po- place was, and also for the Korean War veterans. How many uh, World War II veterans do you still have? I would say probably, at the most, I would say seven that okay. are seven that are left. Okay, and we probably have about fifteen Korean War veterans left. Okay. Um, and uh, it's just it's just part of life. They just pass on. And we do miss them because they were quite a cast of characters well, and experiences. Well, everybody knows they were referred to as the greatest generation. They certainly were. And, and uh, that was for good reason. Definitely. I mean, we've had uh, members that uh, um, that escaped from German prison camps twice. And uh, Emmett Pearl was his name. He's no longer with us. But he escaped twice. And he was walking around Czechoslovakia, trapped between the Germans and the Russians. And uh, he was 20 years old. 21 years old, and he's afraid to pick up a weapon because the Russians caught him with a German weapon, they would have shot him. And if the Germans caught him with a Russian weapon or an American weapon, they would have shot him too. So uh, he stumbled around eating um, old apples and things like that till he finally made it through the lines and, and back to the United States. So how many folks do you think approximately you have as members right now? Uh, we have close to 500. Okay, that's so where we're still at. We got a pretty pretty solid membership. Yes, we're we're trying more and more to uh, reach out to the uh, Iraqi and Afghani uh, Afghanistan war veterans, uh, Sinai, uh, the Kosovo, Panama, things like that. But demographics have changed, uh, Rich. Uh, these people just don't join right now, and it's not just the American Legion; it's other uh, organizations in town too, and country clubs and things like that. But we are reaching out to them. Yes, we are. Give me just a, a quick <laughs> overview. I know you provide a lot of um, services to veterans and to our community. So just give me a quick overview of some of the things that you do to help vets in our community. Uh, if a veteran needs to uh, get the paperwork done to, let's say, get into Heinz VA, we'll make sure that he has all the paperwork. We'll also uh, take him there and get him into the, uh, get him into the system and make sure that all the T's and, uh, are crossed, the I's are dotted, Get him over to the front desk, as they call it, and give all of his information, get his ID card, make sure he has a first appointment with a doctor. Um, if they're having problems with the VA, with the paperwork, we'll fill it out. Uh, if they have problems getting their paperwork from the government, we will get on the phone right away to a, con- a congr- uh, congressman, ask for his military liaison, uh, and say, this is the problem we're having. We need to get something done. And boom, it's, it's done. They don't want to mess around with, with congressmen. Uh, one thing that strikes my mind is over here at Lexington, there was a 92-year-old doctor, Korean War veteran, uh, that they were honoring. They couldn't get his DD-214. We made a call to That's Congress- his honorable discharge Correct. Papers? That's Correct. That's his discharge papers, I should say. Uh, we made a call to uh, uh, Congressman Quigley's office, Melanie Thompson, their uh, liaison, uh, 45 minutes later, it was coming across at the Legion. It was coming across our our fax machine, all of his papers and the medals he deserves and things like that. So, uh, so you help them get done. a lot of the benefits oh, that is, that are not too easy to figure out how to get, right? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they the earned them. Yeah, and sometimes the paperwork is very, very uh, uh, not confusing. But if you haven't done it, it it it, it can, especially for an older person, get get very frustrating. Uh, another thing that we do is. Uh, uh, get people to the right people to see at the Abraham Lincoln National Cemetery if their father or mother, and both of them can be buried there, uh, is a veteran. We can 
get make sure all the paperwork is done, all the discharge papers are there. So when that sad day does come, they can rest assured that their parents uh, will be buried um, in a place that's absolutely beautiful, well taken care of, and it'll last forever. So we do get our veterans and their um, uh, spouse uh, can be interned there. So we, do, we work very closely with Abraham Lincoln National Cemetery also. And I know on uh, Thanksgiving you bring in some naval recruits from Great Lakes, and which is a really awesome program. You have meals there. Tell us about the meals you have really quickly. Um, well, we uh, at, at the Legion, we're open every day of the week except for uh, Sunday. And our lunches during the week are from 11 to 2. And then Saturday afternoon, we have a Saturday afternoon club where people can come in and have a nice lunch uh, for $5. You don't have to be a member. Just come in off the street and things like right. that. Right. I know you encourage the public to come in, and it's a great of place course. to have a burger or a sandwich mm, or whatever. Yes, the, it is. The Blue Plate Special of the day is, which exactly. are really neat. And you've got a great banquet facility. Yes, we do. That holds close to 200 people, depending on the event. Correct. Yes, we do. Uh, I like to say it's a full-service veterans club. Not only do we take care of veterans, but also we have quite a few. Uh, we have a, a clientele that's uh, uh, civilian, if you if you can use the word. Never been in a service, but they come in and enjoy the place also because it's it's a friendly atmosphere. Uh, it's where they can come in and talk to people uh, their own age. Um, you know, it's relaxing. They don't have to worry about incidents occurring um, and things like that. And a lot of the businessmen, especially in this area, that want a quick, good lunch. Right. We, we provide it. And we also have guys that come in who are widowers. Their wives have died. They have no place else to go. They come in. They can talk to somebody. Uh, our girls make sure they eat. And if they don't finish it, they make sure they get a to-go bag. So they have something to eat Very a little nice. later on. So I we take care of people. I mentioned at the top of the program that the reason we're, we're interviewing here you here today and we'll be interviewing some other veterans over the next year is uh, because you're having your 100th anniversary celebration. So tell us what else you're doing to celebrate that 100 years, and I'm sure there's more to come. Well, to begin with, um, we're going to do what we're doing right now, uh, interviewing a vet. We're going to be doing their stories, put a, uh, a story in, in the newspaper uh, to let them know, hey, you know, this is your next-door neighbor. This is what he did. This is what he's doing now. Uh, we're going to have a uh, military ball as we usually do, I think, believe this will be our fourth one, but this will be in conjunction with the 100th anniversary, so it'll be a combination of both of it. Uh, the Memorial Day Parade, that'll be the central theme, is 100th anniversary of the uh, American Legion, and it's 101st uh, Memorial Day Parade. So uh, we, we're going to do other things. Uh, one of the things that, that I like is that... Uh, uh, the way that we reach out to the city and let the, let them know what we're doing. Right. Um, one of the things that is in my mind right now that we, uh, for the centennial, is to sit down and, and make what we call a disaster plan. If there's another flood in town, is get over and get some of these people, get them over to the Legion, let them, uh, the kids and things, let them into our banquet room. They can sit there and, you know, watch TV and they're out of, let's, they're not underfoot. And there's right. places that we can do, feed them and things of that nature. So th that would be tied into it. Uh, that has never been done before, but we'll, we'll do it on our centennial, centennial year. Uh, some of the things also is our, Amer um, uh, how do we say, American Legion Baseball. We're trying right now to, uh, uh, and, and we're going to be working on it all year, is the regional finals and bring quite a few people into town. And, that would uh, be let very them neat. You know, hotels know. will love that. Yeah, they? well, there could be between five and a thousand people is what they say. 
Wow. So it's going to entail everything. But we're going to let the people know that this is the American Legion. This is what we're doing. And we've been doing these things for 100 years. We're the oldest service organization in the city of Elmhurst. Well, it's a great organization, and I look forward to interviewing some more veterans that are members of your post in the coming months. I want to thank Commander John Scudder, uh, one, for coming on You Don't Know Rich. And now <laughs> I can't say You Don't Know John Scudder because now I think our listeners know John a little bit better. Well, that's good. And I want to thank you for your service to our great country. So That's no problem. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks, John. You Don't Know is a Fat Man Networks production and brought to you by the good folks at the Tapeworm Weight Loss Institute. Who needs to diet when there's tapeworm?